0: recognized recently, I have a tendency to ask questions that I either don't want an answer to or I already anticipate what I want that answer to be. So f- for instance, we have this favorite ice cream place. and they have a f- my favorite flavor of ice cream is double chocolate. It's a chocolate ice cream with big chunks of dark chocolate in it. And I pull up to the drive-through. And this happens on a regular basis. And they'll ask me very politely, what do I want? And I'll say, I want the double chocolate ice cream. We don't have it today. And I want to say, wrong answer. (laughs) We've got another favorite restaurant. My life circles around food a lot. I have another favorite restaurant. And we go to that restaurant and during COVID, they decided to take an item off the menu. I don't totally understand this. I've asked some restaurant managers. I don't get it. There's 11 different chicken dishes on the menu. If you count all the sauces you can get on chicken tenders, it jumps to about 32. Why did the one chicken dish I want die during covid I mean, it's clearly not a chicken shortage. I mean, I get that. I walk into the sporting goods place, and I walk up to the counter, and they know me now. After 12 months of ammo shortages, they know me. They look up and go, Pastor, there's no subsonic ammunition. I mean, I get that. I understand there's a, there's a real shortage, but there's no chicken shortage. Otherwise, you wouldn't have the other 29 or 30 options. Just the one option is missing. And then they finally got back, you finally got menus again, real menus. You didn't have to, for those of us who are phone-impaired, look at the menu on your phone and try to figure out what you want. And the new menus are back, and it's not there. And I look at the waiter, and I ask him, I said, well, when do we get the chicken? This chicken Dijon. When do we get the chicken Dijon? I don't know. What about COVID killed chicken Dijon? Is there a shortage on Dijon mustard? I mean... Is is there a shortage on mushrooms? I mean, sir, I don't know. (laughs) I, I understand. About that time, Kerry usually speaks up and goes, he's not as mean as he acts. He's just hungry. He'll be okay in a minute. But I come, I expect answers. It happened recently, just the other day with us. Husbands and wives can probably identify with this. For the most part, I let her pick where we go because just about any place has something I'm willing to eat. And I, and I, and I, I call the other night, and I'm thinking, I'm going go through my mind. I call every night. When I leave the office, I call the house and say, I'm leaving, the, I'm leaving the office. You know, I'm going to see you in a few minutes. Hey, I'm looking forward to being with you. You want to go out tonight? You want me to pick up something? And, you know, this kind of usual conversation. But I'm thinking, okay, what might she want to eat? I'm trying to guess in advance. And it's surprising after this many years how many times we get it right. We're thinking the same thing. On this particular night, I'm thinking, oh, well, we'll go out and get, let's just say, I don't remember what it was now, Mexican food. So I'm thinking through all the Mexican food dishes I like, and, and I call and I say, hey, honey, I'm on my way home thinking about maybe we should go out tonight. And she says, that'd be great. Um, but no, I'm doing some work here at the house and maybe let's just, let's just stay in. And I'm thinking, okay, well, what do you want me to pick up? And I'm thinking, cheese enchiladas, and she says, hamburgers. It's not the answer I wanted. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with the answer. Actually, I, I cloaked everything, actually. I cloaked everything as, oh, it doesn't matter to me, but it did. <laughs> it's, it's, all on, it's all on my end. Well, that's where we find Habakkuk, this, this little tiny prophet in the, in the Old Testament that's about halfway through your Bible. I should have told you that right up front, or hopefully you looked at the screens and hopefully it pulls up on live stream. You can be able to see that because there's this little tiny book. It's only three chapters, and we're still at the last part of the first chapter, middle, the beginning part of the second chapter, and it's going to take a while to get there if you're using a, a paper Bible, but go ahead and try to find that. But the whole problem that Habakkuk has today is that he asked God questions, and those questions were, how long are you going to wait? How long do I have to wait for you to do this? How, how long till you interrupt my circumstances that I'm unhappy with? And his circumstances were real. It was real danger, it was real situations that he was up against, and those were real circumstances that Habakkuk had every right to be unhappy about. Just a quick historical reminder. Habakkuk was a prophet during the reign of King Josiah. King Josiah is probably one of the most righteous kings we have in the Old Testament over Judah. Tremendous reforms take place. They, they refurbish and rebuild the temple. They, In the process of doing that, they find scrolls, and they begin to look at the scrolls, and they realize, oh, wow, these are actual scriptures. These are, these are words from God. We should probably listen to this. And they start reading them, and they begin to realize, oh, God has these expectations for us. And they go into this massive reformation of repentance to align not just the temple, not just the temple leadership, not just Josiah himself as a political leadership, but all of the region. It is a geopolitical, religious revival of tremendous proportions, one of the biggest in Scriptures. Josiah had seen all of that happen, but just, I mean, Habakkuk had seen all that happen under Josiah, and now Josiah has been killed in battle. And it's all reverted back. Judah's become wicked. God's going to judge Judah. God's going to judge it with Babylon conquering and taking them and displacing all the Jews out of, out of Jerusalem, out of Judah into Babylon. They're going to be all be taken captive. And so Habakkuk is upset. And this is a whole lot more important than hamburgers, cheeseburgers, or cheese enchiladas, and and flavors of ice cream. He's got serious issues he's concerned about. And he's been asking, how long? Why aren't you doing something? And essentially, why aren't you conquering this foreign nation that's threatening us? And God answered. And we looked at that last week. God God answers. But the problem is, it wasn't the answer Habakkuk wanted. And so we pick up now, in the rest rest of chapter 1, we pick up in verse 12, where Habakkuk has the courage. And I want to remind you, one of the things we talked about in the first part of Habakkuk was that we can have open and honest dialogue, transparent dialogue with God. If we're upset— God isn't like somebody we have to tiptoe around or be cautious around. We can tell him. His love is so immense for us, so great, that we can tell him what we're upset with. And Habakkuk does that. Because now the issue isn't, why hasn't God done something? But the issue is basically, why are you doing what you're going to do? Why, why are you silent on this issue? Why, I don't, and, and there's confusion. I don't understand why these circumstances can be under your command. Because Habakkuk is looking at it, and he's recognizing, yes, Judah is wicked. Yes, Judah has sinned. Yes, Judah deserves judgment. But the instrument of judgment is Babylon, and Babylon has sinned worse. They have been more wicked than Judah. And so God is going to use an even deeper, significantly wicked country to discipline Judah. And Habakkuk just doesn't get it. It's not the answer he wanted. What he wanted God to say was, you're right, Habakkuk. I, I've waited too long, and I haven't delivered I haven't given you everything you wanted. Let me interfere. Let me, let me wipe out the Babylonians. Let me, let me protect Judah. Let me bring a new king in that's going to do things right. Let me, let me intervene in all these ways. Let me contradict my own character in a number of those areas. Let me do all of this just so you can be happy. But that's not what God does. God says, this is the way it is. There's a sense, and we see that in this passage in the end of chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2, that God's going to do things in his time and in his own way. But before we get there, Habakkuk is going to ask some really serious questions. Why don't you say or do something? If you look at verse 12, he starts off, and he knows who God is. Are you not from eternity? There's a hint of sarcasm in his words. Lord, my God. He uses titles and names to describe God. My Holy One, you will not die because you're from eternity. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. And right in the middle of this, he reminds God, by the way, you're my rock. You destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you judging us? We're wrong, but we're not as wrong. Why are you silent while no one, while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? To Habakkuk, God's response is confusing. It is even disillusioning. It's not what he anticipated. It's not what he wanted to hear. And even more difficult is he just can't grasp it because he feels like Babylon is worse than Judah. Babylon should receive worse judgment than Judah and that God just has his priorities mixed up. And on this, it's hard to absorb that and, and to say that even, even out loud, it's difficult because we most of us have taught, been taught to re- respect and, and to restrain ourselves from criticizing God. Because we assume if he's God, he is all-powerful, and that assumption means that, of course, he always knows better than us. Even if we know that as a fact and a reality, it's hard sometimes to put it into motion when what we want isn't what he's doing. Why don't you say something? Why don't you do something? How long does this have to go on was his initial question. And now that God said, it's going to go on a while, you just need to accept this. He's like, why? Why does it have to go on? Why can't you do something? Why don't you say something? Can't you see how evil they are? And he gives this description in verses 14 through 17 of how wicked the Chaldeans, how wicked the Babylonians are, that they're cruel and they're ruthless. The very, the very means by which they do things, and he uses an illustration of, of harsh fishing here, and he uses an illustration of how they just basically don't care and how they're cruel in everything that they do and how they have become so prideful. They're, they're so good at their wickedness that they now worship the implements of their wickedness. That's what the last part of 16 and 17 is talking about, is is they have become good. This illustration is of the fishermen, and they've now lifted their nets because they're good fishermen. They've lifted their nets up as their deities. God, they don't worship you. They don't worship a real deity. They worship the things they created because they're so egotistical, and they're so arrogant. What am I going to do? And this is where Habakkuk helps us. In verse 1 of chapter 2, he gives his exasperated answer. So Habakkuk is still speaking to God in verse 1 of chapter 2. I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I've issued my complaint. I have have asked my questions. You answered the first questions. I didn't like the answer, and so I'm not satisfied, and I'm not comfortable with what you're doing. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to watch, which becomes an example of what we can do while we're waiting, because the lack of an answer that satisfies us does not mean it's not answered and does not mean that God isn't aware, and that's hard sometimes to process Watch and prepare. Stand at my guard post, he says. Station myself. I'm going to be on the lookout tower. When we get answers from God that we're not satisfied, we can develop and discipline our spirituality to watch and to prepare. Pastor Emeritus at my last church became a very good friend. Clear up until his 90s when he passed away. And he used to always tell me over and over again, I think a lot of preachers probably use this saying, he said, God always answers prayers. Sometimes he answers them with a no, sometimes he answers with a maybe, and sometimes he answers with a yes. But what Dr. Stiles used to tell me, he said, Pastor, that what, what happens is we always want the yes. And so if the answer is maybe, or the answer is no, or the answer is not at this time, we become frustrated and discontent." We learn the spirituality. We learn the discipline of watching and preparing. God is moving. He's not near as silent as Habakkuk thinks he is. He is working. Watch and prepare. Then he listens and he begins to process. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. And then the Lord will answer me. And God speaks and does answer him. Listen and process. Watch and prepare. Listen and process. Because if the answer is not what we wanted, then I've processed inappropriately. When I anticipated an answer to my question, that I didn't necessarily prepare myself for the answer that I didn't want. I prepared myself for the answer that I did want. What I wanted the waiter to tell me is, you're right, it made no sense that we don't have chicken dijon during COVID, and so we've added it back on the menu. There's a special section that says James Clark's favorite dish. And from this point on, Pastor, when you walk in the restaurants, you don't even have to order. We'll know. We'll start cooking. That's what I wanted. So I wasn't prepared for the other one. Listening and processing allows us to prepare for what's going to take place, to process that and think through it. And then interestingly enough, I think... We can make this application to journaling and, and the ways in which we communicate. God speaks and says, "Write this, write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets, so that it may easily be read, so that you can easily read this." He tells him to share this, and most importantly, to simplify it. You want to watch and prepare. You're going to listen and process. And then you're going to prepare to be able to share it, and you're going to be able to prepare to simplify it. We make most of the messages of God more difficult and more complex than they really need to be. And that doesn't mean, there's nothing wrong with the speculation and the the academic studies that goes with that. But in the end, there are basic things God wants us to know. In Habakkuk's case, He wants Habakkuk to remember. God has not only just protected Judah all these years, but God was the initiator. He was the creator of that nation. And beyond that nation, God not only instigated that geopolitical group, but God beyond that and before that created them as individuals. Their decision to sin and go away from God was their decision that God wants to redeem. And what Habakkuk's struggling with is the idea that after the discipline, there can be something better. He's having a hard time seeing the stories that we know when God collapses by their own arrogance the nation of Babylon. What we know today, historically, that Babylon doesn't even exist. This great multi-continent conquering nation doesn't even exist today. It's only a historical conversation. God knows that He's going to restore. He knows He's going to send them back to Jerusalem. He knows the temple is going to be rebuilt. He knows there are great days ahead. Habakkuk can't grasp it, and so God tells him: Watch, prepare, listen, process, share what you hear. And simplify. And then in verses three through five, he basically just says, This is how it's going to happen. And it's going to happen my way and in my time. For the vision in verse three, chapter two, verse three, Habakkuk chapter two, verse three, for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it de- delays, wait for it. Habakkuk, just be patient. Wait for it. I I love that phrase. I don't know how many times in my spiritual journey throughout my life, God's had to say to me, James, wait for it. Because I want it now. And, And I am not naturally a patient person. I have to develop and work on patience, and I have to accept God's instructions to Habakkuk that you're going to do these things. You're going to watch, prepare, you're going to listen, you're going to process, you're going to share the information, you're going to simplify it so anyone can read it and understand it. But in the end, Habakkuk, you're just going to have to wait. It's that subtle reminder that we need sometimes that God is God, not us. We've always been creation. We have never been creator. We just have to remember and be patient. Even if it delays, he says, just wait for it. And wait with a sense of confidence. Look at the, verse 3 again. Since it will certainly come and not be late. The fact that I don't have my answer right now doesn't mean God's not working. I, I love the way God says this to Habakkuk. It will certainly come and not be late. The problem is it's late by Habakkuk's standards. And Habakkuk is going to need to adjust his standards to God's standards. It's going to come, it's going to happen. Habakkuk simply have confidence to believe it's going to happen and then have humility. You're going to complain about the Babylonians, okay, look at him in verse 4 he says. His ego, that's a reference to Babylon. His ego is inflated, he is without integrity. Don't in our frustration become the very ones that we criticize. Habakkuk at this point, and I have this tendency, I I understand Habakkuk at this point. In his frustration, he can let his ego get carried away, and he can let his ego begin to drive the agenda, begin to drive the narrative between him and God, and say, God, I want this, I need this, you should do this. At which point... There's very little distinction between Habakkuk and the Babylonians. Judah has gone off into false worship, and that's part of the reason they're being, being disciplined and judged because God loves them. He wants their behavior corrected. Not because he's just mean, not because he's sitting in eternity bored. What can I do? How can I make Judah's life miserable today? He wants to say, He's saying, How can I bless Judah? And I can't. With Judah in his current sinful position, I can't. And so like any good parent, I'm going to have to discipline. And that's going to require humility on our part. And then simply faith. This is one of the center verses. In fact, verse 4 of chapter 2 gets quoted three times in the New Testament. Paul quotes it in Galatians and in Romans, and then the author of Hebrews quotes it in Hebrews chapter 10. Simply have faith. The righteous one will live by faith. Trust. That's all faith is. Faith is a willingness to trust. I don't know what to do with my sin then confess it to God and let him forgive you. I don't know what to do with the dysfunctions in my life, then trust and believe in Jesus, have faith in Jesus, and let him begin to make the changes and the transitions and the transformations. I don't know how we're going to be able to provide in this set of circumstances, then have faith, trust that God is not unaware of those circumstances and that he can provide no matter how hard and difficult it might seem. And we've been prepared. The patience, the confidence, and the humility has prepared us for faith. I can simply trust him. And then I personally just love verse 5 because it describes the tranquility of a believer's life. Moreover, wine betrays. You're not going to get relief by, by basically substance abuse. You're not gonna, you can temporarily make you feel yourself, feel, make you feel better, but it's going to get worse. Wine betrays. An arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like shoal. I mean, that's literally the place of death. He enlarges his appetite. And like death, he is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the peoples for himself. The greedier we are, the more rebellious we are, the more we disregard God's holiness, the more unhappy we get and our appetite runs insanely crazy. That's how he describes Babylon. Which simply means, like many scriptures, like many of the verses that, that, that Habakkuk would have known from books like Deuteronomy, and First and Second Kings, and the history of these things, and things that he would have known from Genesis, and God's creative order, and God's creative abilities, is there's tranquility when we're patient When we're confident in God, when we're humble before him, and when we have faith that he is who he says he is, our lives can be peaceful. Because all of the things that our appetite demands are not the things that we respond to. We respond to the person of an almighty, eternal God who is rock. Jesus would address this over and over while he was on earth. Seek my kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Look at the fields. The flowers are beautiful. The grass is gorgeous. Birds never go hungry. They always find ample seed for the day aren't you more valuable, my children, my handmade creation? The next time you look at the beauty of, of something in this world, remind yourself, God spoke, and that came into existence. God touched you, and you came into existence. As beautiful as they are, they are not more important. They are not more valuable Than any one of us. Even in death, even in his own death, he said to the disciples, I'm going to give you peace, but it's not the peace of this world, it's my peace. These things, patience, and confidence, and humility, faith, and tranquility, they add up to the blessing that Jesus promised when he said, I came to give you life, exceedingly abundant life. In that promise, there is no promise that it isn't at times hard, but implicit in that promise is that he will always be there, all i